0: question that we all have to ask if you're a Christian is how do we live in a culture, in a world that's not Christian? That's where we live. How do we live in a world that's not Christian, that has different values and practices and beliefs? How do we live and engage in a world that's not Christian, and you can think about that in your job, maybe as you work with various people, you experience that, maybe it's in your neighborhood, or and just as you, uh, in your school, or your kids' schools, or just in the culture around us, just the values and stuff that you experience through news and media, and other channels online, other relationships that you have. We have to figure out, how do we live in a world that's not Christian? How do we engage in a world that isn't Christian? Most of us feel that tension in some way because you may feel drawn to say, I just want to fit in. That's how I'm going to figure it out. How do I engage in a world that's not Christian? I'm just going to do Sunday and then I'm going to fit in. That's what I'm going to do. Or maybe it's I'm going to run away. I want to try to exit as much as I can. I want to try to have all my relationships, all my thinking, all all that I do be as kind of Christian protected as I can. Or maybe it is just frustration that you feel. And that's kind of the way that you figure out or decide how to live in a world that's not Christian is, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to see these things and feel oh, I can't believe it, and see this, and oh, I can't believe it. and just kind of living with a constant frustration. Most of us feel attention. We live in a world that's not Christian, and yet if you are a Christian, you are a Christian. Jesus talks about this as being in the world, but we are not of the world. Meaning we are here, we're located here physically, but our identity, our values, our beliefs, who we are is not of the world. And that creates a tension. How do we live in a world? How do we engage in a world that's not Christian? The church in Ephesus, and that's where you get the word Ephesians from, the church in the city of Ephesus, had to figure out the same stuff. Because they're living in a totally pagan world, a totally hostile world to Christianity, and they had to figure out, how are we going to live here? What does it look like? And Paul writes to help guide them that helps guide them in what it does look like, how we figure that out, how we engage. It's never a question that Christians have totally been able to separate from their minds. of just, yeah, my work is Christian, and the people around me are all Christian, and the political atmosphere is all Christian, and everything is Christian. This is easy. One day that will be so. In heaven. Not, yeah, in heaven that will be so. How do we do it now? How do we live and engage in a world that is not... Christian, Paul writes, to help them figure this out. What if you could have a faith that knew how to do that, that knew how to engage, that knew what it looked like, that actually had an attractive faith that drew people towards Jesus through your life versus repelled people, repulsed people? What if you had a life and your faith actually attracted people to Jesus? That's what Paul writes to help us with, and he's going to give five different things that we have to consider if we want to be able to learn to engage in a world that's not Christian, to be able to have an attractive faith. He's going to give us five kind of commands or instructions of how he tells us to live, and the first thing he says is, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Now, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, that's okay, if you were here last week, he gave us a kind of way of life that God calls us to, a lot of ethical instructions that we walk through. It's the longest sermon I've actually ever preached, so congratulations if you're back here. If you came a second week, congratulations, that's amazing. And if, you, if this is your first time here, you're probably like, whew, I'm glad this, I chose this Sunday. I think it was a great sermon, though, so, you know, I'm just saying, but... Is a long list of ethical instructions that he gives to us, and he talks about the way of life that God calls us into, and it's all sorts of things that maybe you would typically think about when you think about the moral stuff of Christianity, things about stealing and lying and how we use our language and our sexuality and forgiveness and compassion and bitterness and greed and kind of all these different things that he says not to do, not to engage in. God calls us to a different way of life. Okay, so that's the recap. I could have just said that, the end. right? <laughs> so that's what he gives to us. But then, the very next part that we're going to look at is he says, don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you. And normally we preach. I preach through the CSB, but uh, I think the ESB clarifies some things better. So we're using that, which we used to use several years ago. So if any of you have ever been mad that we're in the CSB, today is your Sunday also. Okay. So let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So he he gave this whole way of life of how he calls us to live. And then he says, that will not go uncontested. That won't just if you decide to follow God's way in this, if you decide to follow all these ethical instructions, if you decide to step into the life that God calls you to, it's not that that will just, everyone in the world around you will just go, yeah, great decision, and just applaud that. In fact, people will try to pull you away from that. People will try to draw you away from what God has for you. That's the very next thing that he says. Here's the way of life God calls you to, but don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. People are going to say, you don't have to live like that. People are going to say, that's outdated. People are going to say, Uh, yeah, that's not really what Paul meant when he said that. That's not really what Jesus meant when he said that. There's a different interpretation for that. I found a teacher that said this, and I think that they're actually right. I googled somebody. It was nine pages deep, and they just have their own blog. They have no education. But yeah, I found this one person that said that this word actually means this. That's what often happens. Paul says, here's the life that God calls us to. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You cannot just step into the life that God has for you uncontested. People will always seek to offer a different interpretation, to teach, to persuade, to change, to compel towards something. That's what don't be deceived means. That's implying And he says, with empty arguments and empty words, that implies people are going to be trying to teach you, trying to persuade you. Listen, the world that we live in, it's not neutral. Meaning, the world that we live in doesn't just say, oh, you're a Christian? That's okay. You have your values. We have our values. We can all just get along. That's not what the world we live in says. There is active persuasion. Active instruction, active teaching, active trying to get us onto a side. That is what is constantly happening. The world is not passive. It doesn't hear the instructions that God gives and then say, all right, if that's what you want to believe, okay. It wants to persuade us. You may feel that pull, you may feel that tug in your own heart. And I think it's important, even if you're not a Christian here today, or if you are a Christian, you wrestle with some of these things, to ask, why do I believe what I believe? If there's points of, if you were here last week and we walked through all the different kind of ethical instructions, or even if you just can kind of understand maybe what I mean by that, some of the things in the Ten Commandments or whatever else, and you go, yeah, there's some points in there that I'm not really living consistent with that. Where did you get those beliefs? Why do you believe what you believe? And what Paul is saying is, you have been deceived. It's not just that you are disobedient, that's true. It's not just that you've rejected God, though that's true. It's that you have been actively deceived. You have been told, you have been tricked, you have been lied to. And he says, do not be deceived. And he says, don't be deceived because... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. People will say, these things are okay. These things are fine. These things are not a big deal. You can live this way if you want to. And he says, don't be deceived. God will bring judgment upon these things. This is not the life that God has for you. Don't be deceived. If you want to engage and learn to live in a world that's not Christian, you will feel the pull the tug towards just fitting into the world around you. And he says, don't be deceived. You have to be aware that you are being taught. You have to be aware that you are being sought to be persuaded. And you have to resist that. Part of that is by soaking in God's truth and knowing what his truth is so that you can resist. So that is the beginning instruction that he gives us. Don't be Deceived. But the second thing that he tells us is don't participate. I wanted to make these all Ps. Don't be persuaded. Don't participate. But then it broke down. So at least you, it's a thought that counts. So at least you know I tried. But he says not to be a participant in what happens. That's, that's the second thing, which builds, right? If you start with don't be deceived, that means don't buy into the beliefs. But if you do buy into the beliefs, the next logical step is that you will also participate in the activities, that you will become a partner with. And he says, don't don't do that. Don't participate. Here's the next part. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So he says, don't participate. Don't, don't be deceived. And then don't let that lead into participating. Listen, we all want to belong, right? We all want to fit in. No one likes just, yeah, I'm glad that I don't belong. I'm glad that I'm ostracized. I'm glad that I'm on the outside of, of the cool kids or the, the neighborhood or my, my coworkers. Everybody wants to fit in. But what happens then is we let the values and ideas and actions of the world around us, of the people around us, of the coworkers around us, of the school around us, of the neighborhood around us. We let those things begin to shape us, and we align with it. We partner with it. We participate in it, because we don't want to be on the outs. He says, we will be tempted. We will be tempted, not just in our beliefs, not just being deceived by the beliefs, It doesn't ever stop there we will be tempted to partner and that word partner means that we're joining that community we will be tempted to identify with these people to participate and become a part and to have shared values and shared practices we will be tempted towards that but what he says is no don't do that because that's not don't participate Because that's not who you are anymore. He says, at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So don't participate because that's not who you are. Don't join their community. Don't don't join their values and their beliefs and their practice. That's not who you are anymore, he says. You were darkness. Think about how stark or intense that language actually is. You were darkness darkness. Not just that you did dark things, though that's true, but that you were darkness. That's what the Bible's teaching is on sin. It's not just that we do sinful things, though that's true. It's that we have a sinful nature that inside of us, our disposition is to be opposed towards God or ignore God. He says, you were darkness. Last week we looked at, he says, your heart was hard You rejected God. You didn't want what God said to be true. You were darkened in your understanding, Paul said, meaning you didn't get it, didn't actually see things the way they were. And, And I'm not trying to be, and Paul's not trying to be insulting, he's just trying to give us what the truth is and say the reality, the real condition is that we were darkness. That's who we are apart from God. That's who you once were, some of you can remember this. This is what your life was like before you became a Christian. Some of you, maybe not, it's hard for you to kind of identify a particular point of, I was darkness and now I'm this, but you can look at ways of thinking and ways of doing and things where you go, yeah, I was darkened in my understanding. My heart did want to resist God in certain things. He says, you were that. That's not who you are anymore. You were Darkness. But what did he do? What did God do when, when you were darkness? He says, God did something. Now, I don't know about you, I love movies that are talking about good versus evil. And the best of all these is obviously the Lord of the Rings, but it talks about good versus evil. 45 hours of good versus evil, right? It's awesome. Watched it on my honeymoon. It was great. So, <laughs> It's not a joke. Uh, What do Christians wait to do on their honeymoon? Watch Lord of the Rings. That's not the punchline you were expecting, right? But that's, so good versus evil. Love that. Star Wars, good versus evil. I haven't seen this one. John Wick 4 just is in theaters right now. Good versus evil. Kind of one of those revenge movies. Good versus evil. We love those kinds of things. I, I love those kinds of things. Good versus evil. But that is good news in a way. And, it, and there's truth. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that talks about good versus evil, and that evil will be conquered. That, that's good news, right? But it's not good news for a stormtrooper. It's not good news for Sauron. It's not good news for whoever you know, he's shooting. It's not good news for those people. And see, the Bible does have themes of good versus evil, but it also has the theme of transformation. It also has the theme of transformation which is you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were an enemy, but he made you a son. You were deserving wrath. He gave you grace. See, that's an even more beautiful, I I love good versus evil, because I want to know that one day Jesus is returning and he's going to put an end to all sin and all death and all injustice and all destruction and all sadness. I love that but I love transformation also. And that's what Paul tells us, that you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This tells us two amazing things. It tells us, first of all, that God is gracious, right? If you were darkness and now you are light, darkness can't do anything to deserve that. The enemy can't do anything to deserve that. Those that resist God can't do anything to deserve that. It means that he is gracious. If you were darkness, but now because of the Lord, because of what Jesus has done in his death and in his resurrection, now you are light. That shows he's gracious. It means when God looks at the worst in us, when he looks at the worst in us, the worst parts of your heart, the worst parts of your thoughts, the worst part of your actions, he moves towards you. That's amazing. That's grace. That when God sees the worst in us, when he sees the darkest parts of us, he says, I move towards you. It shows that he's gracious, but it also shows that he's powerful. If darkness can be transformed in its nature to become light, that shows how powerful he is, shows how willing he is, and it shows how able he is, that he wants to change us even though we don't deserve it. And that he can change us, even though we are so far. It shows both of these beautiful truths. That's what he does in salvation. It's what he offers to us now, though. That's the same thing is still true. That when we tap into darkness, that when we realign ourselves with darkness, that God still gives us his grace. That God still has the power to change whatever there is that is present in our Lives. Now, listen, if you know this, the more that you know this, this should give us a great humility, not to just look at those that are still in darkness and go, how stupid, how dumb, I can't stand you, to just have such kind of righteous, maybe self-righteous indignation at everybody, instead of to have a humility to, to say, I was darkness, God made me light. It should give us a compassion. It should give us a great hope for what God can do in anybody's life. Paul is saying, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So what community are you seeking to be a part of? Are you trying to fit in? Are you trying to identify with the values and beliefs around you? Who are you wanting to be with and be like and not seem different from? Where are you participating partnering in things that you shouldn't be Where are you giving in and compromising in things in media and conversations and all the different things that Paul talked about before Are you participating in things that are darkness when Paul would say that's not who you are anymore You are not darkness anymore. You are light and he says not to take no part not a little bit not just, it's okay, I, I just kind of am a little bit participating. It says to take no part. Not even close. Not to have a posture that says, but I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't want to make them think that... No, take no part in these things. Because also, he says, they are fruitless. They are unfruitful. Meaning what actually happens is if you live this way, if you participate in all the kinds of things that Paul talked about in the previous chapter, or the previous section, all the different ethical instructions, if you participate in those things, it's actually unfruitful. Meaning you don't, you actually miss out on the life that God wants to give to you. It's not productive. It's not creating blessing. It's not what God has for you. It's dried up. He says that's not what he wants for you. You will actually miss out. So the second thing he tells us is don't participate. You want to figure out how to engage and live in a world that's not Christian. You want to have a faith that's attractive. He says, don't participate. That's not who you are anymore. In the Lord, you have moved from condemned to forgiven, from darkness to light, from far to family. That's who you are now. So don't participate. Don't go back. And then the third thing that he says is, walk as children of light again these all kind of build on each other so don't participate in the in the works of darkness because that's not who you are so what do i do walk as children of light walk as children of light there it is we already read it walk as children of light that is the positive instruction of what we are called to do children time children oftentimes are like their parents because you force your beliefs and your values and your likes and dislikes upon them. When I see little kids uh, that are babies even, or one or two, and they're wearing a jersey for, I think someone was wearing an LSU jersey or a shirt, it's, it's not because the baby was like, yeah, I really like LSU. It's they, you said you like LSU, because that's what our family likes, right? <clears throat> so that, it's you are choosing for them. You don't, you're not watching one game, and your toddler's like, yeah, I'm watching this game. You know, I'm really not a fan of that. That, that doesn't happen, right? The children are like their parents a lot of times. Obviously, as you get older, you, you're like, I'm not like my parents at all. And then you get a little bit older and you're like, crap, I'm like my parents. So that's kind of the trajectory that happens, right? But what, what happens, what Paul is saying is, be like your father. You are a child of his. You belong to him now. It's not... Paul, I love Paul Paul because he always mixes all these metaphors. He'll go from like agricultural to structural. Then he talks about light and darkness, but now he's talking about a children of light, but light don't have kids, but he just kind of mixes these metaphors. He's saying, you are a child. You've been adopted into God's family. You belong to him. You're his now. So be like him. Walk like he does. Take on his values. Take on his beliefs. Take on his practices. Walk as children of light. You have been brought into God's family. That's such good news. You belong to him. You're not, Paul said earlier, you're not a son of disobedience. You are a child of light. You belong to him. You're his. So walk as children of light. And then he he tells us why, too. It's the opposite of, of the other part. He says, you will have a fruitful life. Walk as children of light, because for the fruit of life, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So when you become a child of God's, that's an internal change. When you move from darkness to light, internal change, that's where it starts. Internal change that then leads to external change, that leads to everything that's good and right and true. Everything that is good. That word really is about generosity and kindness and an outward blessing of other people. Everything that is right is righteousness and and living with integrity and right relationship to God and others. Everything that is true, it's not deceived, it's not in the dark, it's, it's honest, it's authentic to who God is and what he's called you to. That is the fruit of the root change. That is the external expression of an inward change that happens. That's how Christianity works, by the way. That's how Christian change works, is God changes us inside from darkness to light, but then that leads to external fruit. And he says, walk as a child of light because that will produce fruit, good, right, true. That's what will happen in your life when you walk as a child of light. It will create a meaningful life for you, a fruitful life. You think about the image of fruitfulness, and think about a tree that's just kind of dried up and not producing as it should, and then a tree that is abundant, green, and filled with life. That's what he says God wants to do in your life. This is the unfruitful works of darkness versus the fruitful life that God can do as you walk as a child of light. Don't you want to be a fruit tree? Fruit blesses people. A harvest of when some of you are beginning to think about or beginning to plant gardens, and those things that you have will be used to bless other people with. If you are planting zucchini, that will be used to make zucchini chocolate chip muffins that you give to your pastor. When you make tomatoes, that will be used to create salsa for your pastor and others, of course. God gives us a fruitful life. Fruit is used to bless people to bake pies. Flowers are used to cut and to give to people. It's used to bless. And he says, when you walk as a child of light, it creates a fruitful life that you get to bless other people with. You get to become as he is and bless others with your life, your family, the people in need around you, your community group, your kids, your spouse, your church, You get to bless people. You have a fruitful... When you walk as a child of light, it's not unfruitful. It's fruitful. Because Jesus' life was fruitful. Because the Father's life is fruitful. And you are being like your Father. So how do you do that? He, He gives us actually this way, this method to do this. And here's what he says. He says, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. This is so important. Because this is, in many ways, could be considered a spiritual discipline. Like reading your Bible and praying is trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Saying, God, what pleases you? Do you live like that? Saying, God, what pleases you in this situation, with this thing? Listen, I don't think that most people are trying to be disobedient. Sometimes, I said most people. I don't think most people are trying to be disobedient to God. But that's a big difference between I'm not trying to be disobedient and are you trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord? Those are different. One is just I'm not doing anything. The other is a proactive approach of I'm bringing my life before God and trying to discern what pleases Him. I want to know. I'm trying. These are all active words. I'm I'm putting effort into trying to figure out what would please God in this situation? That's how you walk as a child of light. So I want to know what would please my father here. I want to know what he would be delighted in. Here's a, a progression that I've used at different times that I find helpful. Is This trying to discern what pleases the Lord begins with desire. You have to actually want that. You can't try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord if your desire is... I just wanna be happy. Well, once you start with that desire, you're gonna be off on the wrong track because then your decisions and what you're trying to discern is what will make me happy. I wanna figure out what will make me happy and my decisions are gonna be, what is the desire that's actually motivating your life? I want what's easy, okay? That will lead to certain discoveries and certain actions and certain patterns. I wanna please people. I don't wanna make anyone mad. I don't want to offend anybody. What is the desire that you operate with? If it's, I want to please the Lord, I want to please my father. That's the beginning place. And then as you have that desire, then it moves into discovery, which means, okay, if I want to please the Lord in whatever given situation there is, then I need to discover what he says about things. I want to Please the Lord when it comes to my time. What does God say about how my time should be used? I want to please the Lord when it comes to my finances. What does God say? I I want to read the Bible. I want to actually listen to what he says because my desire is I want to please him. You can see that if you're starting with something else, you're not really going to be motivated to go, I really want to know what God says about this. If my desire is I want my life to stay the same and not really change that much, but have a little God sauce sprinkled on things, then I'm not really going to figure out what does God say about this? Because I'm not going to like what I hear on certain things, right? And so the desire is, I want to please the Lord. Which then leads to not just what does my mom say, what do my friends say, what do those that agree with me say, what does the expert on the 10th page of Google say, but it's what does God's word say? What does he say? How does he speak into this? What does... What does God's word actually speak? What do the Bible teachers that are tasked with the responsibility of equipping the church to live out God's word, what do they say? So it begins with desire, then it leads to discovery, and then, as you know, here's what God says, then you're really doing exactly what Paul says, which discerning how. I know what God says, so what or how do I do that? What does that look like in this situation. I know what God says, but now I'm thinking through how to live that out. I know God says, my, love my neighbor. How do I actually do that? I'm, I'm really trying to figure that out. It's no longer a what, but a how. I know that God says, be generous. Okay, how? How do I live that out? I know God says to love the people around me. I know God says to speak truth in love. I know God says not to do these things. Okay, how do I live that out? You're seeking to discern that. And then the final step is obvious, but just you actually do it. You obey. You don't wait. You don't just keep thinking. You don't just keep praying. You actually act. You obey. You move from hearing to obeying. Paul says try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, want to please him, and then try to discern what is pleasing. Is that how you live? Is that kind of your progression? Is that your thought pattern? Or is it simply, I'm not actively disobeying. I'm not trying to disobey. But are you bringing your time and your money and your relationships and your career and your marriage and your family? Are you bringing that before God and saying, I want to please you, God? This is a child. Look, sometimes we can think that that's bad. Like you shouldn't want to please the Lord. But it's a a child that says, "I, I want to be like my father. And I want to please my father. When you're a little kid, you want to please your parents. Like, look at this. Look what I drew. And look what I can do. And look at this. And that's not bad. You want to please. He says, walk as a child of light. Seek to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. You belong to him. You are his. You are his child. Walk with him. Walk with him hand in hand, learning to live like he does. That's the third thing that he gives to us. Walk as children of light. And then fourth, he says, expose. Expose. Here's how he says it. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So it isn't only that we abstain from certain things. It's not just that we say, I'm not going to do these things. And it's not only that we say, I'm going to actively seek to discern to please the Lord. It's also that we expose the darkness around us. That we expose the things that are done that are shameful and secret. Light exposes you ever, uh, maybe you have one of these at home, but I always see them at, at, at hotels. They have these like magnifying mirrors with light, and you're like, I am hideous. And you're like, I didn't know that that part of my face existed. You know, how I can see my brain. This is awful. You know, it's just mag- the light, it exposes, it magnifies, it reveals what's there. That is part of what light does. And what Paul is saying is our life should be like that. Our life should be able to expose the darkness. And part of how that works, you might, if you hear that word, I know when I was first kind of studying this, you can hear that word as like, it's our job to go around showing everybody what they're doing wrong. But that's not what he says either. He says that light exposes darkness. But how does light do that? There's a lot of ways that light does that, but one of the ways that light does that is by us showing who accurately reflecting and showing who Jesus is. See, we are like the moon, and Jesus is the sun. Jesus, and you know, if I was a cheesy Christian, I could be like, it's the sun, S-O-N, but Jesus is like the sun, right? Jesus, the moon is bright when you look at it at night, but only bright because it's reflecting the sun. The moon doesn't have its own light. We don't have our own light. We reflect Jesus, And part of how we expose darkness around us is by reflecting who Jesus is with our words and with our actions. That we are able to show people around us in some ways more like a spotlight than a hotel mirror. We're able to show, here's who Jesus is by our life. We're able to reflect, here's who Jesus is. Look at him. We're able to show his glory, his strength, his power, his grace by our life. By the way that we live Our life becomes light, shining and showing Jesus. People can look at us and darkness is exposed because we are shining and showing who Jesus is. They're seeing the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And they're seeing him because we talk about him. We're exposing darkness because we're talking about the light of the world. We're saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Here's who he is. That exposes the dark, unfruitful ways of thinking, the darkened hearts, the the understanding, the hard heart. It exposes that by saying, let me show you who Jesus is. He's good, he's gracious, he's powerful, he's present. We're able to shine light on darkened understanding by talking about Jesus. We're able to shine light on darkened understanding and darkened hearts and darkened living by our life looking different as a reflection of who Jesus is. As we are gracious to people, it shows what Jesus is like. As we forgive other people, it shows what Jesus is like. As we are generous instead of taking, that shows what Jesus is like. As we use our language to build up instead of to tear down, that shows what Jesus is like. These are all the things that Paul talked about in the previous section. We are able to show what Jesus is like. We expose darkness through our life and our words pointing to Jesus. Is that what your life does? Do people see the strength and the beauty and the power and the glory of Jesus by looking at your life? Do people see the strength and the beauty and the power and the glory of Jesus by listening to your words? Do you speak of him? Are you honest of who he is? We have to live and to love in a way that shows Jesus. We have to be honest about our faith, not hiding it telling people, here's why I do what I do. Here's why I don't do these things. Here's what I did on the weekend, honestly sharing about our life to show. Light has to be true. And one of the ways that you expose darkness is by being honest about your life and your relationship with Jesus. (laughs) About what you're doing next Sunday on Easter. And one of the ways that we are light is by Inviting people in to see the light of who Jesus is. That's part of how our life exposes darkness is by shining the light of who Jesus is and what he's done. Not growing dim. Not living in darkness. Not hiding our light. What happens when we live like this? What he says is that when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. It becomes light. So how does And he's talking about people here, remember. People, when you live as light, others become light. When you live as light, when you expose darkness, by living as light, anything exposed by the light becomes visible and becomes light. Meaning your life has a transformative effect on other people when you speak about Jesus, when you live in such a way that shows who Jesus is. Your life has a transformative effect. I read about this this week, the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement fighting back against some of the darkest things in our country injustice, racism, fighting back against that. And one of the things that they did as they are marching, as they are nonviolent, peaceful protests, as they are seeking to be light, one of the things that they did to expose darkness, which actually transformed it. Changed it massively. Personal, structural changes that happened. You know what one of the things that they would do to strengthen themselves, to buoy their sense of resolve? They would sing. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. They would sing that song. That was one of their, that was one of their anthems that they would sing as police dogs are attacking As all the stuff around them is happening. And they are seeking to be light in a dark world. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. They would sing that song. Because they knew that light exposes darkness. And that light changes darkness into light. That's what happened. So Paul says, expose the light. Live. Love. In such a way. That your words and your actions actually transform the darkness around you. And then the final piece that he gives to us is wake up. This is the final piece. And again, all these build. Don't be deceived. Don't let your beliefs take you astray to begin with. You want to engage in a world that's not Christian? You want to have an attractive faith in a world that's not Christian? It starts with, are you buying into the messaging around you? Don't. Don't be deceived. Be formed by God's truth. Don't participate. That's not who you are. You are not darkness. You are light. So walk as a child of light. Seek to discern what's pleasing to him. Expose the darkness, by shining your light. And then finally, he says, wake up. That's the final piece. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Now, we are tempted to not care. That's a sad truth. We're tempted to be sleepy, to just seek to fit in in our sin or to be self-focused such that we don't care about all this. We don't care about the power of light versus darkness. We don't care that God wants to move people from darkness to light. We don't care and so we just kind of participate in it or we're just kind of passive and, eh, all right, I guess there's a bunch of darkness. Hopefully somehow that changes. Maybe I'll say a prayer. We don't care. We're asleep, Paul says. We're asleep. We're apathetic. We're apathetic, so we partner in sin. We're apathetic, so we don't do anything, we don't engage. We're so self-focused and concerned about our own things. I have heard and seen many things in my years of ministry of people where there's a dark world out there, but they're so concerned just about their own things. Fight we don't have any carpet in here, but fighting about the church carpet. I knew I talked about one, I met one pastor that told me about um, this guy that had built him this amazing pulpit. and and then got mad at him for something and then he came in one Sunday and the the guy had taken the pulpit. So petty. So focused on self. So concerned about our preferences and what we want and what we like and why isn't it the way I want it and, and not being awake to the fact that there is a dark world that Jesus wants to change. He says, wake up don't be sleepy in your sin that you don't care and you just kind of go along. Don't be sleepy in what you're participating in. And don't be sleepy in such a way that you don't care that God transforms you to be a transformative agent in a dark world. Don't be sleepy. One of my favorite Christian artists, musician, uh, is a man named Keith Green. He was in the 70s and early 80s. And he was kind of a hippie, crazy, awesome dude that was one of the most influential actual uh, Christian artists that influenced so much of kind of Christian music and its birth. And he has this song called Asleep in the Light. And he says this, do you see, that it rhymes because it's a song, but I'm not gonna, I already sang one, so I won't sing again. But he says, do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb? This is this language about being asleep. Not to care if they come. You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs, and you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you can't even get out of bed. Oh, snap. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. That's what Paul's saying. Wake up. Wake up. You are light now. We live in a dark world, but you are light Are you sleepy with your sin? Are you sleepy with God's heart for the dark world around us? What would happen if you were awake? What would happen if you were awake? What would happen? He says that as we wake up, he says, wake up, awake, O sleeper, Christ will shine on you. That means when you make a moment of repentance and turn, you say, I'm not going to sleep anymore. I'm turning to him. Christ shines on you. It's not just wake up and kind of get to work. It's as you wake up, Christ will shine on you. You will experience his light afresh, anew, once again. As you turn from being sleepy to saying, Jesus, I want you, I need you, I want to please you, I want to walk as a child of the light. As you turn, he shines on you, which means you are strengthened, you are empowered. It's solar power. Get those little like, uh, lights. We have these little lights that are solar powered and they only come on when the sun shines on them. That's what God gives to you. He will shine on you. When you turn, he will change you. I've seen this happen time and time again. It it takes, in some ways, a moment to experience lifelong change. And God ongoingly sanctifies us and changes us, yes. But there are often decisive moments when we wake up and say, I'm done. God, I want you. And Christ will shine on you in that moment. And change begins to happen. And our life begins to be pleasing and fruitful in all the ways that he desires for it to be, to reflect him, to be be raised from the dead. This is what God's heart is for you. And it's what God's heart is for those that are not Christians. And if you're here and not a Christian, this applies to you in in a way of saying, wake up, Jesus will shine on you. He will give you his life. He will give you his light. He will change your life. You will move from darkness to light. This is what his heart is. This is what God's heart is. God's heart isn't just the world's dark, can't wait for judgment day. His heart is it's dark, and I wanna make it light. I wanna change it, I wanna transform it. So, we live in a culture that is often hostile to Christianity. We live in relationships and workplaces and all sorts of things, and we have to figure out how do I live in a world that's not Christian? How do I engage? How do I have a faith that's actually attractive in some ways? This is what Paul gives to us. Don't be deceived. Don't participate. Walk as children of light. Expose and wake up. This is an identity change from darkness to light. And it's also a calling of how we live. We're going to take communion in a moment. And when we take communion, what Christians are remembering is that Jesus, the light of the world, came into the darkness. He came into a dark world and he felt the full weight of the darkness. The darkness, in fact, what the Bible says is it actually became dark when he was on the cross. As a metaphor, physically, of the spiritual reality that was taking place. That the light of the world, it looked like he was snuffed out by all the full weight of evil. And yet, he is the light of the world and he raised from the dead. And on the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed for you and for me so that we could move from dark to light and be raised from the dead with him to experience life everlasting with him. And so as we take communion, if you're a Christian, if you didn't grab one of those little cups on the way and you grab one of those, as we take communion, remember, your sins are forgiven. You're no longer dark. You're light. And so seek to discern and to be pleasing to the Lord and to walk as a child of the light. Father, I thank you that you are the one that changes, that transforms, that you give grace. You give grace, and you have power to change. God, as we sing these songs and as we take communion, help us to bring our sin to you, to confess where we are sleepy, to confess where we have participated. Lord, lead us to honest confession and remind us that you forgive us remind us that you can change us. And Lord, would you do today exactly what Paul says, shine upon us. Let us be strengthened. Let us be changed. Let us be empowered. Let us be led. Let us be encouraged. Shine on us and let us reflect your light to the world around us. And I pray, God, even as we are moving into Easter, that you would let us shine this week through our words and through our lives, that we would invite and speak about you so that others would be able to experience your light on Easter Sunday. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.